the cycling podcast powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Hello, my name is Richard Moore, winner of the 2021 Tour de Suisse. Wow. And I am with Midlands Under-13s Open Golf Champion, Daniel Freib. Was it? Um, where did... What, what, explain. Explain where... Well, what you're referring to well, how I won, it happened. I won the Tour de Suisse, Daniel. <laughs> I mean, I how much... Been tra- I know you've been training, but I didn't think like 50 kilometres on the flat around the, you know, in the lanes of Picardy were really... Adequate preparation first, for first, the Tour de Suisse, but I was wrong. Well, first hairy-legged, uh, six-foot-three, uh, ninety-kilo Scotsman ever to win the Tour de Suisse, but it was officially announced by the Tour de Suisse organisers on Twitter on Monday morning that I had won the Tour de Suisse uh, just ahead of Rigoberto Uran and Jakob Fulsang. I think is the tweet I can't still remember. up there? They were so far back that I, I can't even remember. No, they they did delete it eventually. Disappointing. Um, not before somebody had altered my, my Wikipedia page to reflect <laughs> the fact that. <laughs> so thanks for that. Um, but yeah, no, it was a easy mistake to make, I think. Confusing me for Richard Carapaz. Physically, we're pretty similar. Um, was it no. was it added to your page on Pro Cycling Stats? Because you have a page on Pro Cycling Stats. <laughs> I don't think so. Do you, no, were you no. aware of this? Of course you were aware of this. Well, uh, somebody told me about about it um who was it was it lionel or, or somebody had looked it up commonwealth games road race 1998 dnf, DNF yeah Tour, mm. 1998 dnf, DNF. tour of lancawi 1998 dnf oh, dnf <laughs> what, what a career <laughs> to go from that to winning the tour de suisse is quite a quite a turn up for the books anyway i didn't really win it um, Daniel, how are you? And, yes. And are you in a secret location? Um, um, no, it's not that secret. I'm on holiday, actually. Um, I am just taking a bit of time out from my holiday to do this podcast, Rich. I am in the Dolomites. I am at the foot of just looking up at Plan de Corones, Kornplatz. Um, the, well, it was the, the venue of a summit finish or a couple of summit finishes in the Giro won a time trial in fact they've both been time trials I think um, and I actually sort of decried and mocked Plan de Corones or I, I said it was gimmicky and I didn't really like the idea of it when it was um, including the Giro route in 2006 I think it was the first time because it was sort of it was uh, uh, constructed for the Giro the road it was built for the Giro just they basically just threw some gravel down um, on a mountainside and I just you know I was a bit sniffy about it, and now I'm on holiday here. It definitely the Dolomites, yeah. I mean, yes. we don't need to get that verified no, by. No. Great. Well, in well, I mean, there's lots of racing to talk about this week. Uh, we're certainly looking, well, looking at the recent racing with a uh, half an eye, or maybe an entire eye, on the Tour de France, which is coming up very rapidly indeed. Next week will be our Tour de France preview episode. We'll also hear from Pavel Sivakov. Um, who rode the Tour de, Tour de Suisse, returning after his crash at the Giro. And we might have a rival for Giacomo Nizzolo's internet connection, because Sivakov, speaking from Moscow, the, the line was crystal clear. I don't think it was actually internet, I think it was 4G. We sure he wasn't speaking 5G. from the International Space Station? Um, there'll be an up, <laughs> maybe we'll have an update on his space it odyssey. Yeah, it didn't sound like he was speaking from outer space, that's for sure. Um Forgot to ask him about his uh, how how close to the moon he'd managed to get so far this year. But anyway, we can return to that with him at some point. Um, 
So anyway, news roundup. Well, lots of racing, tons of racing. Tour Slovenia, uh, two stages won by Phil Bauhaus, Tari Pogacar won a stage, Jon Aberasturi, Diego Ulisi, and uh, the overall winner was Pogacar, who laid the foundations for that on stage two, winning alone and looking very, very good indeed, defending Tour de France uh, champion. Of course, Diego Ulisi was second, Matteo Sobrero was third, J- Friend of the James podcast. Shaw fifth, Matteo Sobrero, Sobrero. Yeah. Of course, yeah. And James Shaw in fifth. A uh, really outstanding five days of racing from him. Uh, rides for the Continental team, Ribble Weldtight. Came Only got that contract at the last minute when Harry Tanfield uh, joined Quebec at Assos. Uh, but, you know, well, we followed James Shaw's story quite closely and we had an interview with him at the end of last year talking about his struggles to find a new team and really wedged in there among some, you know, good World Tour riders. So... Perhaps that performance will catch the eye of a bigger team. In France, uh, La Route d'Occitanie, uh, stages won by Andrea Vendrami, Arnaud Demar, Antonio Pedrero, Magnus Court, and Pedrero was the overall winner too. Crossing Belgium at the Balois Belgium Tour, stages won by uh, Robbie Gies, uh, ahead of Remco Evenepoel, returning to racing after his pretty harrowing experience at the Giro. Even the pull then won the time trial. Caleb Ewan won two sprint stages, and Mark Cavendish won the final stage. A really impressive performance from him that has got tongues wagging about a possible uh, appearance at the Tour de France for Cavendish. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Remco Even the pull uh, was the overall winner, so a re- winning return for him. Tour de Suisse uh, stages won by Matthew van der Poel. Well, he won two. Then he withdrew with a, a mild cold. Um, hopefully, that doesn't affect him ahead of his debut at the Tour de France. Stefan Bissinger won a stage for EF. Richard Carapaz won a stage. Andreas Kron, uh, the Dane at Lotto Sudal, won a stage after Rui Costa was relegated for deviating quite dramatically from his line in the sprint. Rigoberto Uran won the time trial, which was really up and down the Oberalp, and that was a very impressive performance from him, uh, a very convincing winner ahead of Julian Alphilippe, who rode the the entire course on a standard road bike without even a, a time trial bike on the car behind him, uh, which was in contrast to the way that most riders approached that stage. But he was second on the day. Then he withdrew from the race to be present at the birth of his son. Um Gino Mader uh, also won a stage, the cycling podcast Gino Mader, won the final stage, um, which went over the Gotthard Pass. Is that the correct pronunciation, correct. Daniel? Yeah. A stunning, a stunning climb, cobbled climb. Um, and, well, there were a few talking points from the Tour de Suisse, and we'll talk about them in the next part. Overall winner uh, was Richard Moore, ahead of Uran, <laughs> uh, Fulsang, Jakob Fulsang, Max Schachmann, and Mike Woods. At the Spar Flanders Diamond Tour, uh, Lorena Vibus won ahead of Chiara Consoni. Emma Norsgaard has extended her contract with Movistar to the end of 2024. Just reward for a fantastic season from her so far. Mike Woods will lead Israel's startup nation at the Tour de France. No word yet on whether Chris Froome will be in that team, although the whispers are that he will be. No Pascal Ackerman in Bora Hansgrohe, the sprinter who... One of the, was one of the riders beaten by Cavendish in Belgium at the weekend. Um, he's not made it into their team. And finally, Jumbo Visma, the women's team, have signed a former rower, Amber Crack, who was part of the Dutch Olympic rowing squad until 2019. She has joined uh, the Jumbo Visma cycling team. 
A little news flash at the end of the news roundup. As we're speaking, Chris Froome has been confirmed for the Tour de France. The four-time winner will return to the race for the first time since 2018 when he finished third. Israel Startup Nation have confirmed that he's in their squad, which we expect to be led by Michael Woods. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimise your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalised analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thanks very much indeed to our title sponsor, Super Sapiens. Um, Super Sapiens are the continuous glucose monitoring system that helps you make the right fueling choices. I'm wearing mine and learning an awful lot about this, partly or mainly that I that, that fueling properly is quite difficult and more difficult than I, I thought. Um, and uh, I've probably been chronically underfueled on a what? lot of my long rides. Have they rides. seen the size of not your ge- breakfast not, and lunches at the not, not generally. No. I just mean when I'm riding my bike. Um, so it's, it's, I'm learning a lot. Um, Super Sapiens, or rather glucose monitoring, was in the news last week, of course, when the UECI reaffirmed that um, their use in competition is disallowed currently. Um, I spoke with uh, Super Sapiens founder and chief executive Phil Sutherland uh, about this uh, last week, and we'll hear bits of what Phil had to say, but here's a little clip here about why he thinks um there's a a real benefit to riders having the type of technology that super sapiens offers in races as well as in training athletes having access to this data is athletes having access to an ability to make the right decisions when it comes to their fueling strategies and be the best of themselves right it's a yeah, and we've seen we've got the data that 45% of athletes who participate for over one hour of exercise are underfueled, and further to that, two uh, percent of men are hypoglycemic, uh, and or excuse me, two percent of the time men are hypoglycemic, and four percent of the time women are hypoglycemic. And riding a riding a bike while hypoglycemic is the same as you know drinking a couple of cold beers and then going out on the bike. You know, yeah, you can do it, right? But at some point, something bad is going to happen, and and so we really try to push hard on you know the the safety aspect. And it's been great just to see the response from teams and the, like every team physician is infuriated. You know, the the doctor of Quickstep, and it's not a partner team, uh, but he said for the first time we have a tool that can allow us to truly help with the health and safety of our riders and they ban it. It's ridiculous. Well, that was Phil Sutherland. And while we're still talking about Super Sapiens, we ran a competition at the Giro d'Italia. Some of you sent in audio clips telling us how you would use Super Sapiens to help you achieve your cycling goal. We played quite a few of those clips in the episodes and we have our winners. I'd like to announce the following as winners each each of these people will receive three months of worth of Super Sapiens sensors to use, and hopefully we'll hear from them about how they get on. So the winners are Kai and Alf, who sent in a, a joint entry, Fiona Bell, and Matt Pavitt, who entered on behalf of Dr. Carl McPherson. So we'll get in touch with all of those people and tell them how, or we'll get their addresses to send them their 
Super Sapiens sensors. Now, Daniel, Tour de Suisse. Um, I mean, another another stage race win for Ineos Grenadiers. I mean, one amazing stat about Ineos this year is they've had six stage race victories with six different riders. Can you name them all, Daniel? Yes, Ivan Sosa is the first one. Um, Adam oh, that, Yates. That, uh, if you can name that one, then you can name the rest because that was a Sosa, difficult the one. Ivan Sosa, the Tour de la Provence, then it was. Adam Yates at uh, Volta a Catalunya. Then, at the, not they didn't win the Tour of the Alps, did they? They won the Tour de Romandie avec, uh, or with <laughs> Geraint Thomas. And they won also, they didn't win the Ruta del Sol. They, they did win the Giro d'Italia with Egan Bernal. They won the Dauphiné with Richie Port, and now they've won the Tour de Suisse with uh, not Richard you might, Moore. You might, be che- you might be cheating. You might be cheating uh. there. Looking <laughs> it up. Um, but another, a more sobering statistic for Ineos is that, and this comes courtesy of GCN, the last time Ineos won a stage race with Primoz Roglic in it was 2018 at the Tour de France. And they've never won a stage race with Tadej Pogacar in it. Well, that um, 2018 Tour de France when Ineos won with Primus Roglic in the field. Also, the last time that Rog rode a stage race and did not, at some point, wear the leader's jersey. Hmm. I mean, he was still very... It, it, it's very recent, but it's, it seems a long time ago in, in Primus Roglic's career because he's become a different beast i think since then a more formidable one it's funny rich Um, it's funny we've we've touched on this a few times already this year about how just from from our point of view from the point of view of the spectators maybe um any stage race not featuring one of the slovenians rog or pog um has maybe lacked a certain luster um but just well we're going to have an answer we're going to get an answer to this at the Tour de France just in terms of the level um, is there a a significant step up when those two are riding is there a, a sort of gap in in their abilities are they really a, a level above the likes of Carapaz uh, Bernal I mean Bernal sort of reminded us at the Giro that he belongs in that company but I spoke to Ben O'Connor at the Dauphiné about this and he said that he even feels and I don't know how much he's ridden with Rog or Pog but he senses that as well that everyone else you could sort of throw a blanket over the the abilities including the Ineos Grenadiers riders but that Rog and Pog are just on a slightly different plane but I don't know I if I was either of those two I would have watched events over the last two or three weeks particularly Richie Porter the Dauphiné and now Carapaz had the Tour de Suisse and I would be worried and we'll hear Pavel Sivakov talk a bit about this later on because collectively and th- this is a change from last year I remember going into the tour last year we were saying Jumbo Visma are the strongest team on paper now you, you look at the the teams on paper and really Ineos Grenadiers are, are the strongest team once again they, they but they don't perhaps have the strongest individual and and this will be the fascinating clash at the tour I think this collective versus individual uh, battle that we might see because yeah Ineos have some um very different diverse cards to play don't they um yes with 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 some exciting options as a result of that yeah very exciting options and and crucially all three of the well the sort of frontline options with carapaz and port and thomas maybe to a lesser extent carapaz but good time trialists and that's going to be key because there's a time trial early in the race on it's stage five isn't it so 
Um, it's going to be a GC rider, a GC contender, I would suggest, who's going to take the yellow jersey early on, and it may well be an Ineos rider, and that will really set the cat amongst the pigeons, I would suggest. But it's it's going to be key for them that they keep as many of those riders, and possibly Teo Gegenhart as well, um, as close as possible to the top of the general classification in order to take advantage of that that um, strength in numbers that they have. I mean, we said this last year with Jumbo Visma, didn't we? They they had sort of they'd given up or renounced or um, lost that that opportunity to play different cards on the GC pretty early last year um, with Tom Dumoulin going out of general classification. Sepp Kuss also was a sort of outsider, a wild card for that role, and and he lost a lot of time. I think on the first day in the Pyrenees. Um, so that's what Ineos need to do. And if they do, they will give Pog and Rog the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> they will. I mean, it's worth um, just pausing on, on, I think, the time trial stage in particular at the Tour de Suisse. It was, I saw a bit of criticism before the, the, the race of, uh, of, the, of it being a, an uphill and then downhill time trial. Um, in the event, there weren't any, any crashes. It didn't, you know, my view on it was that it doesn't matter if it's a time trial or, or a road race. It, it, it can be dangerous in either, in either context. It's up to the riders to, to judge the, the, the risk reward balance. Um, that's kind of their job, no matter what the, the terrain of the stage. And I, I thought it produced a really interesting stage. I mean, a very unusual results. I mean, Uran was a, a really convincing winner, putting on an amazing performance that took him very close to winning the race overall. I mean, he finished in the end only seven seconds behind Carapaz. Um, and, you know, the equipment choices were interesting. Tom de Moulin uh, put in a, a good enough performance to suggest that he is returning to the sport quite strongly. Gino Mader was an amazing performer on the day and then followed it up with a stage win the next day. I mean, you know, he he was our diarist at the Giro, wasn't he, for as long as he was in the race. Um, and really seems to be emerging as quite a talent, a young Gino Mader. Yeah, yeah. not yeah. not just a, f- a flourishing, fledgling talent, but someone who will have to be reckoned with in the biggest races as of now. What about Uran, Daniel? I mean... You know, he's always a kind of perennial contender. Um, I didn't see that coming from him, but it was a such an eye-catching performance, and he is a good time trialist, and this is a Tour de France with, as you said, more time trialing in it. Is he, a, is he a dark horse? I don't think he's a dark horse to win the race, and we saw we saw some of his limitations on the final stage when he did try to crack Carapaz bravely, gamely, on the Gotthard pass, and, and put in a couple of good attacks, but couldn't crack him, and of course, the best performance of Uran's career came in that um, 2017 Tour de France where, well, he spent three weeks, certainly the last two weeks, really hanging on very bravely um, but grimly to the coattails of um, Chris Froome and and the riders who were, were ahead of him in general classification. He eventually finished second in that uh, Tour de France. But I, I mean... I don't see him as a as a contender to win the tour, but it's interesting. We we occasionally see these flurries of good performances, or in single time trials, we see riders from one particular team seeming to overperform. Um, that was the case of the Dauphiné with Astana on the the day of the time trial with Lutsenko and Jon Izagirre. 
and and there again i mean i spoke to jack haig the following day the bahrain victorious rider and he said um, i don't know what information he had on this i don't know whether it came from conversations in the peloton but he said well astana have been doing loads of work recently on r&d and equipment um in in time trials and um, EF have had a good few weeks as far as time trials are concerned. You know, a lot was made of the the sort of little Bo Peep um, time trial helmet that Bissiger wore. Uh, to which race was that, Rich? Um, that was Paris Nice. Paris Nice. That was Paris Nice. Uran yeah. um, didn't wear that, did he? Not that I can recall. No, I think I would. I would have noticed. Jonathan Waters, the team manager of EF Education First, um, is always at pains to point out that that team overperforms in terms of you know what they can invest, what they can afford to invest, and um, and what their sort of boffins, their aerodynamicists and um, sports scientists are able to extract, and that that has been the case of late. Shoot, uh, shoot at l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast, team car, the back of the pack, please. That's Sam PK, the voice of Radio Tour at the Tour de France, interrupting this week's episode to remind us to tell you that it is sponsored by Beer 52. Now, summer is definitely here now, and this year is, of course, laden with optimism and opportunity. And in this spirit, our friends at Beer 52 are offering a free case of craft beer specially curated with balmy summer evenings in mind. Their Summer Hits case will feature beer from some of the best small batch breweries in the world. All you have to do is go to beer52.com forward slash cycle, then cover the £5.95 postage, and they'll deliver eight delicious craft beers to you. Not only that, but if you order before July the 13th, you'll get two extra beers totally free. Beer 52's beer experts are on a mission to find the very best beer anywhere on the planet and every month their tasters visit a different country, find the best small batch breweries, sample their finest craft beer and then carefully curate a case to be sent to their lucky members. I've been leafing through Ferment, the magazine that you get with your case of beer, and was delighted to see articles about a few small Scottish breweries, including the Fallen Brewing Company, Fine Ales, with their brewery on the shores of Loch Fine in Argyllshire, very beautiful, is there too, and Fierce of Aberdeen. Also a couple of breweries from the Czech Republic in there, but we've done well so far in this episode, not to mention any international football tournaments that might be going on, so we'll steer clear of that one. I was also pleased to see Owen Walsh, a friend of the podcast who invited us to do an event in Brussels when the Tour de France started there a couple of years ago, writing about Belgian beer in the magazine too. As for the beer itself, if you don't like dark beer, it's easy to choose the light option or vice versa. Each case also comes with the award-winning beer magazine Ferment, as I've mentioned, as well as a tasty snack to enjoy with your beer. There's no minimum commitment. You can just take the free case, try the beers and see what you think. And if it's not for you, you can pause or cancel at any time just go to beer52.com forward slash cycle to claim your free case of eight craft beers that's beer52.com forward slash cycle the word beer then the numbers 52.com well daniel with an eye on the tour and the the, the the sort of overall battle that we're all looking forward to the tour we were also keeping an eye on the tour of slovenia which um tare pogacar had opted to ride quite unusually um as a as a has his final stage race before the Tour de France. I mean, no great surprise that he won it and that his team were very dominant as well in that race. Um, and he looked great, but what did we learn about him and his form? We learned, I think, that he's full of confidence. Um, I understand he was quite nervous at the Tour of Slovenia because it was a, a kind of homecoming. I don't think he'd spent much time in Slovenia at all after the Tour de France last year, partly because of COVID restrictions. And he, I think he felt 
under a lot of pressure to deliver and he didn't really have that much terrain on which to do it did he at the Tour of Slovenia and well he, he exploited what there was and we had romped home to victory and it's you know a continuation of this unbelievable series of results he's had really since well I mean since the Dauphiné last year there he was fourth that was kind of his comeback race after Covid and then he won the Tour of course and this year in stage races there was just that one aberration at the Tour of the Basque Country which really had he not been preoccupied with looking after Brandon McNulty I would suggest he probably would have won as well but he won the UAE Tour um, Tireno and now Slovenia and um, you know the team looked very strong in that company with particularly on the last day with Ulisi and Micah leading him up that final t- final climb very steep final climb but I I don't expect them to be well, at the level of Ineos Grenadiers and as I said I think the their priority if possible is to eliminate as many of those would be could be Ineos leaders in the first 10 days or so and you know how do they do that well you know they have to set a very high pace on the climbs don't they and they have to hope that one or more of those guys isn't on a good day because they they can't afford to have a, a Richie Port or a Geraint Thomas or a Carapaz sort of disappearing down the road and 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 then no doubt enduring nervous moments behind wondering whether they'll come back or whether they won't and I think that's where I can see it going quite badly wrong for Pogacar that said he's proven um you know up to every every challenge and um you know his legs can sort of take everything that that's thrown at them um, at the moment if he was nervous for the tour of Slovenia then you imagine that he may feel that at the tour as well you know going into the race this year is a really different proposition to to last year where he had absolutely there were no expectations on him he had nothing to lose and to take the yellow jersey in the way that he did, you know, just 24 hours from Paris, he's not even had that experience of leading the race and defending the lead. You know, it, it's quite, he's worn the yellow jersey one day at the Tour de France. Um, so the 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 prospect um, facing him this year is really, really different. The team he has is much, much stronger. And I guess they have clarity in that, you know, unlike any Oscar Nadeers who have all these different cards to play, UAE team Emirates have one rider to protect and look up, look after, and Micah um, and riders like that, uh, you know Brandon McNulty as well should be a strong ally. Mark Hershey, David Formolo, we I spoke to him at the Giro and he was certainly looking forward to going to the tour and riding in support of uh, Pogacar. Said he oh. felt like his father. All very strong riders, Rich, but they haven't got a great or they haven't got a long history of you know being domestiques deluxe or riding for a captain I would say that of Micah um, Hershey certainly even Formolo Formolo has tended to be a sort of free agent in stage races mm. a lot of the time in his career so um, and, and, and you know they're all guys who have alternated brilliant performances on certain days in Grand Tours with much more low key performances and, and have not had to um perform every single day for three weeks and i'm sure you know that won't necessarily be the case at the tour there'll be days when they might even the ue management might even sort of operate a bit of a rotation system like we've seen at ineos in the past few years where um, one of the domestics is almost rested but i'm not i'm not wholly convinced by that team yet 
No, and the, the, the one time this year where they have sort of tried to play uh, the, the team card, it, it backfired pretty badly, didn't it? And there was, it looked like there was a lot of inexperience there, not not only maybe the writers, but the the directors calling the shots as well. Um, I mean, they've got, they have got a lot of experience in the team car. I don't know who was in the team car at the Basque country, but um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot, there are a lot of moving parts, aren't there? And especially if, if you have a race where maybe a, one of those, you know, even a tail gig in heart or a, um, or a, you know, or a Richie Port is up the road in a, in a move and um, decisions have to be made quite quickly on the road. And yeah, it, it could, it could be a, difficult one to handle the, the irony is that you know Pogacar and Roglic might might be very useful for each other because they might be in the same boat there and their teams could have a, a common aim in in trying to defeat um, Ineos Grenadiers yeah I mean it's a fascinating prospect the the start list of the Tour de France when you consider as well teams that haven't really come into the, the conversation in terms of who might win the Tour but who will definitely, definitely have a, a major say. And teams like Movistar, um, Bahrain, Victorious, who have been um, absolutely on fire in the last few weeks. And they have a few different options um, in terms of lighting things up in mountain stages. It's um, it, it, it's shaping up to be a really, really exciting race. And um, I, I think quite an aggressive race as well, because you've got a lot of guys there. Um, like Pogacar, who don't need a second invitation usually. If they feel good, um, they, they will attack and they won't necessarily wait until the big mountains and the, and the final climb of the big mountain stages. And will Mark Cavendish be there, Daniel? Well, it's, it's not beyond the realms of possibility, is it? Earlier in the year, when he won his four stages at the Tour of Turkey, we... We suggested that people shouldn't even um, start to get excited about that idea of him doing the tour because it, it was never really on the cards when he signed for the Koenig Quickstep. I mean, what him impressed me most about his stage win at Tour of Belgium were one, the opposition. There was this question when he did win those four stages in Turkey. Um, how much value did the victories have given or beyond the sort of sentimental symbolic value um, given that he only beat Jasper Philipsen and, and a couple of others? And the Tour of Belgium, he beat most of the best sprinters in the world. And do you know what impressed me most, Rich, about that final sprint is that um, okay, he was given a perfect lead out and he was able to take it on from the front, but in a way that made it harder and more impressive because he had to sort of stave off the, the onslaught of everyone else behind him. It would have been almost easier for him to sort of pop out from 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 the wheel of of a rival and just and just nick it on the line but he he went quite a long way out and um and the length of that sprint suggested that um not only is he is he in very good form but what we heard from his coach his new greek coach earlier in the year that he was sprinting better than ever and that his sprints were well he was able to sprint longer than when he was previously at quick step and um, that wasn't just you know, hot air as as people might have imagined at the time. It was a straight shootout, wasn't it, between him and Tim Merlier, who is perhaps with Caleb Ewan the kind of inform sprinter. I mean, he was he was the best sprinter, arguably, at the Giro. I mean, it is arguable because Caleb Ewan was obviously very quick as well. Ewan was a little bit out of position, but there were a lot of strong, fast guys there, and it, it was a power sprint. And, and Cavendish 
Um, there was nothing lucky about it whatsoever. I mean, he looked strong, fast, and powerful. And also, Rich, the ability to well, bear the burden of the home team, the the the, the you know the Belgium's favourite team riding for him on the last day of a race that had been triumphant for them with Evenepoel poised to to win the overall, and that might that must have been a fair amount of pressure for for Cavendish, um, knowing that it was definitely going to finish in a bunch sprint, and knowing that he was up against um, all those leading lights that we mentioned. So if if we said earlier in the year and after Turkey that this was already a fantastic story and one of the feel-good stories of of the 2021 season this well underlined that and um, and made it even more special didn't it whatever happens next yeah he did say afterwards that you can't lose with Morkov leading you out Um, and in the way that Morkov can and we've seen him do it now with many different sprints it was a perfect lead out and it was the first time he'd ridden uh, with Markov as his lead-out man, and it did make you think, well, in that sort of form and with that sort of team support, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that he could go to the Tour and, and win a stage. Having said all that, I don't think he will go to the Tour because, from what I understand, Bennett, Sam Bennett's injury isn't isn't as bad as some have feared, and he should be okay for the Tour. And then it comes down to a straight choice uh, a selection between the, the two and that might not that decision might not be made until next week but um it's it's a difficult decision but bennett probably edges it because bennett you know he, he he's the reigning green jersey wearer and he won a couple of stages last year and he's been in pretty good form this year and he's a lot younger than cavendish even though he's leaving the team at the end of the year you would imagine that he's a slightly safer bet than Cavendish. For all that Cavendish would get a lot of headlines, a lot of publicity, a lot of stories. Yeah, I think so, Rich. Um, As you say, there is that that one small question mark, the fact that um, he is leaving the team at the end of the year, or we're led to believe anyway. And I I think I'm right in saying that in the past, Patrick Lefebvre has occasionally... um, left riders out who who were out of contract and um and and that's that's raised eyebrows um on those occasions but the other the other factor i suppose that might be in the in lefebvre's head and and the direct sportive's heads is that the first couple of stages of the tour are hilly and they're not going to finish in bunch sprints and there will already be a certain amount of fatigue accumulated by the time um, the, the the race gets to its first sprint finish um, on the third day, and then another one on the I think on the fifth or sixth day in Chateau, where Cavendish of course won his first stage of the Tour in two thousand and eight. Which again, in terms of so the narrative and from a sentimental point of view, it would be extraordinary, wouldn't it? He also he's also won actually in Fougere, where there's another opportunity for a sprint finish um, just before that. The cycling podcast is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thanks very much indeed to Science in Sport for their support of the cycling podcast. If you want 25% off all your Science in Sport products, go to scienceandsport.com, enter the code SISCP25. Uh, last week, I mentioned the new tiramisu gels. I meant um, energy bakes, the little cakes that, that they do, which are almost a halfway house between a gel and a, an energy bar these little lovely little spongy cakes which i really enjoy um 
I haven't tried the tiramisu one yet, but Lionel Bernie has, and Lionel, well, he sends his, his best and says thanks very much to everybody who sent their good wishes. Lionel's taking a bit of uh, time out just now, but he will be back soon when his uh, health has recovered. But he's very appreciative of all the messages, all the emails and social media messages that have been coming in. He's been getting on his bike a lot as well, which is obviously the best way to look after yourself. And he has been enjoying some tiramisu energy bakes and, and reports back that they're, I mean, they could be world championship winning, Daniel. I don't know. Really? I, I know that. Well, oh, I mean, it'd be, a, it'd be a, left field, a left field entry in the tiramisu world championship, I think, the mm. energy bakes, but mm. you never know. Um, anyway, he says they're very tasty. So, uh, um, we're going to give you our Tour de France plans next week. Um, and uh, one thing that we always do at Grand Tour, of course, is Stacey Snyder sells her beautiful mugs, cups, gelato bowls. And we're going to call them gelato bowls for the, the tour. Couldn't really find as satisfying a French equivalent of gelato bowl. So um, so we're gonna, she's going to be selling those again for raising money for good causes. Um, if you have a good cause you'd like to nominate, please email us, contact at thecyclingpodcast.com. That's contact at thecyclingpodcast.com and we'll pick a couple of good causes uh, next week. Um, while we're, before we hear from Pavel Sivakov, um, let's uh, hear this week's slow radio feature, shall we? This comes from Matthias Fredriksson. Dear Lionel, Richard and Daniel, I'm a good friend of yours since a while and love your podcast thank you Matthias especially the Giro Vagando so that's that's lovely on a recent ride here in Switzerland where Matthias lives the air was thick and I was waiting for imminent thunderstorm as I rode through a field on a small road the noise was unusually intense from crickets and birds that I thought it merited a segment of slow radio I attach it here so let's uh, let's hear that now from Matthias Fredriksson Thanks very much for that, Matthias. He's asking what our tour coverage will be called after the Giro Vagando, um, the Tour Vagabonders, the Tour Rondoners. No, we have got a name for it though. More like well, we have we have got a name for it, and that will be revealed next week. Um, it's been guarded at the moment. It's top top secret. Don't want it leaking out. Can't even tell Daniel because he he'll be working for the opposition at the <laughs> at the tour. Doing his TV work for uh, he he becomes television's Daniel Freib at the Tour de France. Um, well, listen, I spoke earlier to uh, Moon Man, our favorite cosmonaut, uh, Pavel Sivakov. Two hundred and eighty-seven thousand meters of climbing so far this year for Siv, uh, International Space Station, of course. I've checked it. I've double, triple, quadruple checked. Four hundred thousand meters above um earth more or less more or less it's got but some distance the moon to go is somewhat then. further but civ will get to the international space station before maybe before the worlds well that's that that's good i mean he uh is looking he comes ahead down. now he's Hope really he looking ahead now to the olympics and the uh the vuelta having returned to racing at the tour of switzerland he crashed out of the giro um 
second Grand Tour in a row that his race has been ruined by a crash at Tour de France last year. He crashed twice on the first day and really struggled through that race. Um, the Giro ended well ended early um, after another crash. Returned to racing at the Tour of Switzerland. Uh, he was in Moscow when I spoke to him, uh, and I was he was there for checkups and health checks and so on ahead of the Olympic Games. There is this. Uh, there has been this discussion, of course, about um, Sivakov riding instead for France, where he he's a naturalised Frenchman. Um, in fact, I think he has French citizenship as well now, and he uh, he still competes for Russia. Although I'm I was confused about the state of Russia. The Russian athletes at the Olympic Games will compete compete as ROC, the Russian Olympic Committee. There was a a, a proposal at one point for them to be called Katusha. Wow. which is a name obviously very familiar to cycling fans um but they will they will race under the Russian Olympic Committee banner I believe so um all a bit curious I did ask Sivakov a bit about that and yeah here he was reflecting a bit on missing missing out on the Giro returning at the Tour of Switzerland and looking ahead to the Tour de France and how his team will get on there and the Olympics and the Vuelta it must have been tough uh, sitting at home while the Giro was going, especially as the team went on to win it. Was that was that difficult? And how you know how bad were your injuries? Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course it was. It was difficult to see the to see the boys. In, I mean, I would say, uh, firstly, uh, it was physically tough because I crashed and um, I basically, uh, so I had already a, a plate in my collarbone. I broke it when I was a junior, and since then I uh, I didn't took out the plate. I didn't take out the plate and. Um, I fall. I fell on my on my right collarbone where I had the plate, and basically the plate bent, and the bone bent with the plates. So um, the first thought when I did the, the scan in, uh, in the RCS van was that uh, I have I have a broken collarbone, and then we did two more uh, CD scans, one in Andorra, then I went to Barcelona as well to do another one, and uh, yeah, with specialists the team used we. They, re- they they told me you basically don't have like a proper fracture, but you've got a cortex fracture uh, because the bone bent. Uh, now I can see that on the scan that uh, my collarbone isn't the same anymore. It's like properly bent, but there is no like, um, you know, there is no crack uh, on the bone. It's kind of a cortex. I, I'm not a doctor. I don't know really what is a cortex fracture, but they told me it's, it's not as bad. So I could, um, I was back on the bike pretty quick. I, I didn't need any surgery, but obviously the like the impact and everything was pretty hard. That was that was the, in the first bit was hard uh, physically, and then you know a bit more mentally I was yeah a bit down. But honestly, it, it, I was really happy to see the boys going that well. You know, um, to 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 see again win the race as well. Uh, I was really happy for them when when he, they finished it off uh, the way they did. It, it was great. Um, yeah, it well, Obviously, you know, the, the hardest bit is, is more like, you know, you work really hard and all that work that was done. And it was a bit like last year, you know, it's been it's kind of a hard period for me now uh, because last year it was a bit the same before the tour. I reached a really high level. I had uh, a lot of expectations and I, I had that fall and yeah, everything went went bad you know in the tour <laughs> i had a terrible tour it was a uh, really difficult three weeks and this year a bit the same i i started reaching a really high level then i had that fall in, in tour of the alps but it, it didn't break me down i was still motivated and ready to go for the giro 
came back for the Giro and I was, I think, in a really good place um, to help Egan to win it. Uh, and, um, yeah, again, you know, this time, yeah, nothing I could do really. It wasn't, wasn't my mistake that second that second crash um you know just just bad luck i hit that tree you know that it was yeah. like kind of a bush uh outside on the road and i just went into that bush i was hoping it would be like a kind of a soft one you, that you, i could get through but yeah just went into it over the bars and yeah what happened happened and i mean that's that's cycling that's life and yeah then try to to come back for to the swiss as quick as possible Obviously, I didn't win as I expected. You know, maybe you rushed a little bit, uh, the things again. I mean, I didn't rush it, but yeah, I I wasn't feeling like super, super great in the Tour of Swiss. But, you know, maybe I was also kind of expecting too much of myself after an injury. I still still did a good job. I, I'm still really happy that we won the race. It was a great race for us. But personally, you know, it was, wasn't the the level uh, i should be at but yeah that, that's how it is just uh just yeah i just need some time to to get back to it i hope um i hope i'll be back for the olympics and hopefully the world as well now uh, so yeah i mean i was gonna i was gonna say i mean it must it must have been well good to, to return to racing uh, even if you're not at the level that you you hope to be at and to be again part of a, a winning team somebody pointed out it's exactly a, it's the sixth uh, stage race ineos have won this year with six different riders which is quite it's great. remarkable. It's amazing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's great. We have really good momentum. You know, it's um, it's amazing that yeah, every time a different rider wins. You know, it's uh, yeah, it just shows how how the team works, how well the team works. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was great to be back racing. Honestly, um, yeah, especially with Richard, uh, he was in in a really good. Yeah, he's in really good form. I think, um, and I think he, I think he'll only get better for the tour as well. Uh, it was actually quite funny. We were laughing like after the last stage. We were asking him, "Yeah, how was it in the Gotthard Pass?" He said, "Yeah, pretty, pretty easy, under control." <laughs> so yeah, it was it was great. You know, when you, you hear that from your leader, is uh, it's kind of funny. You know, you're suffering your your way through, and it's just like, "Yeah, well, it was easy, no, under control." Can can he? Do you think he can beat um, Pogacar and and Roglic? Do you think he's uh... He, he can be I, I don't know. Enough. I don't know, but I'm sure. I'm I'm convinced that the, our team is is definitely you know stronger than than their team, uh, and yeah, our team is stronger than them as individuals. Uh, yeah, just seeing how uh, how the boys went in the Dauphiné. Uh, really happy to see Richie winning, finally winning that Dauphiné. <laughs> I think he was really disappointed. I don't remember the year it was, but when he was still in BMC and he lost it the last day, and now he won the Dauphiné, he's got a super Palmares on the one week one week stage races. I mean probably one of the best now in the in the Peloton. Uh and yeah, with G Richie, yeah, Teo was going really well as well. And yeah, just yeah, just the names is, is crazy. Like, we've got such a strong squad lining up for the tour and Richard Carapaz as well. So yeah, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be fantastic to see to see them racing. And I guess Pavel, you um, looking forward to the Olympics and the Vuelta. I mean, that's the last, the last two Grand Tours you've ridden. Unfortunately, you've, you've crashed. Well, you've not crashed out of the Tour last year, but the crash has certainly ruined your Tour last year. I mean, 
yes what, what yes, will you yes. be hoping for from the from the Vuelta do you think I don't know honestly I don't want to um, I don't want to put like any targets in terms of results you know I just want to be back uh, at my performance level you know I think uh, Adam Adam will be really motivated to go there for the win you know I'll just I'll just do my best and prepare as uh, as good as I can to to be at 100% in the world I think uh, yeah now I'm really motivated I really want to I really want it to be my big big goal of that second part of the season obviously the Olympics I want to perform well but my main goal will be the Vuelta. I think the Grand Tours is is something that suits me really well. You know, just the day-to-day um, racing, the the recovery, racing on the fatigue. Uh, that that's that's something I think I'm good at. And and yeah, uh, really really hope to be back back at 100% for uh, for that last last um, yeah last Grand Tour of the year. And what uh, just the Olympics before then? Obviously, I mean. I've I've kind of got a bit lost with what the status is for Russian athletes. You you'll compete um, as ROC, is that right? In uh, in Tokyo, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I, honestly, I don't know really exactly how it is, but yeah, I think we will compete like as uh, like neutrals. Yeah. Or, well, not, neutrals. not not neutral, but um, yeah, it's a yeah. it's a curious kind not of compromise. Like Russian it seems. Federation. Yeah, yeah it's it's yeah. A, it's a weird compromise because I've seen the kit and the kit looks like a normal Russian kit. So. Mm. Mm. Russian no, Olympic it's, Committee, it's, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, yeah, I think it's uh, it's a great experience for every athlete to do. You know, the Olympics for me is a bit. Uh, it's kind of a, uh, I would say, fifty-fifty. That those Olympics is yeah a bit, or or you go really well, or you go really bad because with the time difference, the change of climate, everything. It's kind of hard to prepare for that, or you need to go like really in advance, which yeah, I don't have this opportunity, and um, I don't know if some riders are doing that, like going two, three weeks before, really preparing, really adapting to the time zone, to the the climate, to do the race, but then you don't really know how it is for training, and I'll go quite late. Uh, normally, I fly on the 19th, the race is on the 24th. Just do one training block and race, and yeah, I mean it's a bit of a gamble, but for me it's the best compromise because I can also train and uh, come there with a really good condition. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a great race. Also, um, the course is really really tough. Um, the weather condition will be normally hard. It's almost 100. Wow, well, I think it's over 95% humidity there and really warm. So yeah, some heat adaptation will be required for everyone as well so yeah it's gonna be yeah for me yeah yeah i'm look, looking forward to it for sure and uh yeah and then and then obviously the the vuelta and adam yates is is um is riding the vuelta as well isn't he so another another strong ineos team for that race yeah 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 and i think to, tom tom pitcock should do it as well so once once more, we will have uh, a super team. I don't know what our Egan's plan, you know, but uh, oh, Egan as well, yeah. Well, uh, in the second part, yeah, in the second part of the season. So you know, there is plenty of really strong riders, like the guys who did the Giro as well. They're not on the tour, so I think, uh, I think, yeah, this year in the Vuelta we'll have a really strong squad. Um, you know, the past few years, I think. Yeah, last year was obviously different because of the COVID, but the, before that, 
I think that you know, end of the season is always a bit hard to find um, uh, to find the, like the, the top top team for the Vuelta. But I think this year it's gonna be we, we will have uh, yeah uh, top top team, yeah, really really strong team there, and um, yeah, it's gonna be I think even hard to get selected. <laughs> honestly, will you will you be in Andorra when the tour comes to Andorra, Tour de France? Yes, yes. Actually, my, the day the, the tour comes to Andorra is my birthday. Oh wow! So it's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of cool. It's on my birthday uh, on the eleventh, and uh, then there is a rest day, and the day after the tour is passing in the village where I grew up. Like, All right, wow. Properly in the yeah, village, yeah. like hundred meters from from my house, which is which is kind of cool. Uh, yeah, I won't be. They're racing, but yeah, <laughs> would have been nice, honestly. But uh, well, we'll look out for you and say yeah, hello this if year. We the, see the pl- yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, that was Pavel Sivakov. Um, now, Daniel, yes, who's going to win the Tour de France? Um, will I be on the podcast next week? Yeah, of course. Will I? Why okay. not? Yeah, I mean, um, if you want well, to, be, maybe I should. Yeah, always, well, always very welcome. <laughs> okay, well, maybe I should. I should only reveal who I think is going to win the tour next week, Richard. Once I once I've pondered it in greater. I mean, eighteen depth. possible winners of the tour is, is oh quite, yes, it's quite an easy thing. Well, to I'm do. just looking at the odds. Um, one of one well-known turf accountant whose name I won't mention. Um, the odds at the moment: Pog two to one, Rog three to one, Geraint Thomas seven, Carapaz ten, Richie Port twenty three. <laughs> Alaphilippe, 26. I don't think that would be a very good bet. Superman, 34. I'm I'm quite I'm quite excited about Movistar at the tour as well. Yes. They're sort of flying under the radar. We spent I'm just a generally lot excited about we, Movistar these well, days. We spent, <laughs> we spent a lot of last week's episode talking about Movistar and the fantastic uh, season two of the, of the Netflix series. We may have more on that at the during the Tour de France, actually. Um, but and and the whole sort of you know the the possibilities of a, a cycling drive to survive the the F one series. They understand that that might be in the pipeline. Um, there've been there've been moves by the some of the teams and by ASO to 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 get something like that off the ground, and that could be the problem that they are in opposition to each other. Um, but we'll see. Um, we'll cover that a bit in the. In the, during the tour, but Movistar have a, a very dynamic and exciting team. They do, Rich. I always like to ponder the question of who would win a tour, a very unusual, anomalous tour, as they say in France, a la Walkoviak. Um, Roger Walkoviak, of course, the winner of the, oh, was it, it was the 1956 tour, wasn't it? Um, the 1956 tour, yeah, a sort of what what they call um, what in Italian a fuga bidone, a sort of lucky break, um, a little bit disrespectful to call it that, but it, he certainly wasn't a fancied rider, got a lot of time in a breakaway, and staved off, held off the rest of the peloton and won. Um, won the Tour very surprisingly in 1956. Oh, who could it be this year? I'm going to go Anthony Perez of Coffee Disc. That would be a cracking story, wouldn't it? Oh, Anthony Perez. I mean, that, that would be a cracking story. I'm not sure I can. I mean, really who knows, Rich? You know, the, it it's, well, there are so many contenders this year, and we mentioned um, that sort of the kind of Cold War or wars um, that could that could develop between those big teams. 
Um, it could become a bit of a waiting, watching game. And who knows? Someone could s- sneak off down the road. Um, what about Anthony Turgis? <laughs> why not? <laughs> why not? The, the man king. of the well, spring, he is criminally the man of the spring underrated. classics. Yes. The man of the spring classics. Yeah, who could win a la Walkowiak? Um A question for next week. Hugo Ull, maybe, of Astana. Yeah, why not? David Godou? Not really a... I mean, he's more of a fancied rider, isn't he? That's a Richard Moore-style outsider. A real outsider. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, well, Godou, I'm looking forward to seeing how he gets on as well. Um, a Breton, of course, where the where the race is starting. And uh, I'm looking forward to a few days in Brittany. Um, it wasn't easy to get hotels in Brittany. Did you find that? Um, well, we, Richard, because of um, COVID restrictions, our crew has had to go out pretty early. So they're there already, I think, and a hold up in uh, some kind of beachfront hacienda. And I'll be joining them next week, middle of next week. Well, Daniel, uh, let's wrap it up for this week. We'll be back next week with uh, some kind of bumper Tour de France preview and we'll tell you all our plans for the Tour Diarists, uh, what we're calling it, and all our other plans uh, which are falling into place as I speak. I hope. I hope. Um, anyway, enjoy your holiday, Daniel. Thank you, Rich. Are after the Dolomites or is that your final resting um, place? Probably back to Berlin for a couple of days and then to the tour. Great. Well, we'll speak next week. Okay. Thanks, Rich. Thank you. Thank you. To become a friend of the podcast or to sign up for our weekly newsletter, go to thecyclingpodcast.com. Our theme music is by Glass Pear, and this episode was produced by Adam Bowie.